Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 293 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we're back in the media pit and we're talking about the Cyclocross World Championships that took place last weekend in Hogerheide in the Netherlands. And uh, that's it. We're just spending the time talking about worlds. It's our, our world's recap show. I'm not going to waste your time up front. We're going to get right into it. This is Cyclocross Radio. It's on the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network. I would love for you to go over to wideanglepodium.com. Check out all the other shows that we got on the network. Become a member of the network by hitting the donate button. And you can help support independent cycling media. Okay. It's episode 293 of Cyclocross Radio. We've got Zach... And Michael, we're talking about the World Championships, and we're doing it. You know this part. We're doing it right now. We are back in the media pit, and I believe we're talking about the World Championships that happened this past weekend in Hogerheide in the, the Netherlands. And uh, we got some stuff to talk about. Um but but before we do that, uh, Bodie, you said you went on a ride. How what's the what's the weather like there? I, I I was I was I was in Belgium for the last week, and actually decent weather by the by by the end of it. So how's it how's it how's it going in New Orleans? Well, you know, it was it was beautiful. It was Seventy degrees. I was in my shirt sleeves. I went. I had a tailwind in three directions. I had a phenomenal ride, guys. I, I, I am, I'm pinging. I'm ready to talk worlds. So yeah, let's do it. You're just like Zach's just sitting up there. He didn't go to worlds because you know he's on 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 injured reserve. Now he's in Chicago. He's not outside ride. You're just you're just kill, we're, we're just killing him left and right, Zach. I'm sorry. It's been rough, and now I have COVID, so I actually can't smell or taste any. Like I have literally zero joy in in my life, and then. Like today, my my friend is like he goes to a brewery and he sends me pictures of the beers he's drinking, and I was just like, "Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me?" So it is, uh, yeah, we're off to a good start uh, here at the end of the cyclocross season. <laughs> you got us though, Zach. The media pit. You got us. Hopefully, this brings you some joy this evening. Yeah. Ooh. Oh yeah, because I was I was like, well, at least as my 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 consolation, I was going to go to the Chicago Cross Cup year end party and like go to that and. Oh, but I was sick, so I couldn't go to that either. It's like great weekend. <laughs> <laughs> On that uplifting note, let's talk about worlds. Let's talk about worlds. Uh, so, Bill, yes, you were there. I was there. S- Sunday looked insane. I want to know, boots on the ground. What was that like? Well. Let me start on Friday, and we'll work up to okay. to Sunday. Just Hogerheide, uh, I don't know, you, you can look. I did that X's and O's video a couple of years ago, just going through the whole history of the venue and the races that have been there. There's been all this construction and stuff that's taken place on, on this course, but it's pretty much the land is the same. It's, it's this, you know, it's on the edge of the 
town of Hogerheide, and it's sort of this hill that, you know, this, it's the thing we love about cyclocross, you know, natural amphitheaters. And th- that's exactly what this is. So you have this big hill that sort of dips down into this flatland below, and it's just, it, it, it just built for crowds. You know, people can talk about the course. Is it a good course? Is it a boring course? Is it a challenging course? I don't know any of that. You know, Zach talked about it last week. We talk about it all the time. Racers make the race. I think we saw that this weekend. It has enough there that you have to pay attention technically, and then you can just power out and go super fast. And that's what this was. It was fast. But as far as the venue goes, it's not big. It's a pretty, for as far as cyclocross goes, well, it's not, it's not sprawling. Like everything is pretty controlled. There are only, you know, people can go into the big field that's down below. People can go on that hill that's up near the, the finish line. And then people can go in the kind of smaller field, um, off to like where the big flyover is and the pits are over. But I think that's less popular. Most of the people come to the middle. And that that's the goal of the organizers. They want to push everybody to the middle. We, we talk about this all the time. Want to build a course and a venue that looks impressive, restrict where people can go. You know, flood them into an area. And that's, that's exactly what happened here. You had all of your beer. You had all of your frites. You had your beer tent, you had everything, you had the VIP tent all in one area, that's where everybody flowed to. And and you had huge TV screens so they could watch the race since they couldn't get up to the barriers because everybody's 30 rows back. So that's that's why you had the crowds come Sunday look like they did, because everybody was just forced in there and there was nowhere to go. And everybody had a great time, but you weren't moving around. If you wanted to move around, you know, and you wanted to go from one spot to another, you have to budget at least 15 minutes to get there, you know, as a spectator covering it was, was kind of interesting. You know, one of the things that they did for crowd control and it's in the UCI regulations, but it also helped the photographers is that they have a safety zone. So it's kind of like double fenced. So you will have the fencing, your normal three meter fencing for the course. And then you have outside of that at the, at the edge of that three meters, you have another fence two meters away and then you had the crowd. So then we could hop over and be inside of that and have this nice little zone where we didn't have to fight crowds. And then when you went back to the woods, no spectators were allowed there at all, just media, which was awesome. Because you run around the woods, you're not getting those good crowd shots, but if you just want action shots, you can be back there and nobody else is going to be back there with you, which was nice. So this is nice to sort of like catch your breath before you had to go back and, you know, try to go to the stairs or go to the, to the planks or something else. Downside of the safety zones is that you don't get those awesome shots of people just like leaning over the fence, just yeah. like the huge emotion with them going over. And that was, there was one spot that I was able to find um, that was near the, right after pit one on the farthest uh, fence in there that people found and they were lined up there. There's a lot of British fans there. So I have all these photos with British flags and that was the only place that didn't have a safety zone. And it was awesome. That's where they're just like hanging over and you get that emotion. But, um, it was wild. It was, it was a wild scene. Most people I've ever seen at a cyclocross. I think that just goes without saying. 
So was the wood section with no spectators, was that because of the drone, you think? Or is that... It's always been just, It's always been like that. Oh. So when I was there... Okay. I, mean, it, I, I shouldn't say always. I was there in 2019, and it was the same thing. Spectators were not allowed in that, in that wooded zone. Okay. Well, I like, too, I, I mean... I liked the at the top of the stairs appeared to be at least on Sunday the uh, VIP area the, all the the athletes and stuff <laughs> managed to make their way to I saw Stephen Hyde was up there and like half the right. American yeah. team so that was, it seemed like the VIP place to be on on Sunday at least yeah the Can- Canadian riders were up there that was so what happened with that so you had at the top of the hill was the main entrance to get in and as you can imagine it was nuts trying to get in or out there was always packed always just you know people a block back you know sort of streaming in and out of the venue and then if you went down if you're in the city and you just like walked or rode another block from the like the flyover like outside of the venue from the where the flyover would be to where those stairs would be and made a left turn, then there was a rider-only entrance, and media could go there through there too. And that rider-only entrance was right at the start line. So they would come in, and you'd sort of funnel out to the start line, but what it also meant is that you could sort of make a right turn before the start line and sort of scramble up that hill. So, so the hack was they all had their rider or team credentials so they could get in that entrance. And then once in that entrance, they were, they just had free access to that hill. So I'm surprised more kind of people with team credentials didn't take advantage of that. But I mean, we were a little surprised. We were like, what are all these people doing up here? You know, because we thought it was just going to be for media up at the top. Um, and then it's, you know, it was like another 50 people, but it was fine. It was cool. It's got some, got some good shots up there for, uh, for Canada. Yeah, I want to know what Hyde was saying to Wout. What I also saw that, there? yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was asking him that he wanted to catch up with uh, for um, coffee again in, uh, in, in Italy or where the Spain Remember or wherever. Spain. Spain, that's it. Well, I, don't, I mean, I, was Spain. he giving strategy talk? Because I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if any strategy talk would he have was being a good. He was being a good coach. He was saying, keep on his wheel. <laughs> so where where are we where do you guys guys want to go i mean we've got a lot of races a lot of good action um some good stories can we briefly talk about the course yeah what what are you what's your impressions of the course well i do know that on the ground versus tv is different and i do know that there were some good races happening and i i'm definitely like the racers make the course sometimes the but I just, I felt like there were some iconic Hoger Hogerhide things that were missing that I wasn't sure if what they were replaced by was better. But one of those situations, I always think about a Hogerhider when Stebar and Nye's race, there was that one section. It's in the course, but they go straight, but the old course would go down a slight hill and then turn right. And that's where I think Stebar crashed and Nye's is right behind them and like, but like, dismounted and jumped over him like just saved himself it was just an iconic moment cross and that was gone i kind of missed that instead they just went bombing down that hill which is cool i mean they ripped it you had the drone shot but like they they lost a little bit of the technical element and then there was like the iconic you know you turn around the tree 
I missed that. I feel like there was a pretty good rut that would develop there. I know the weather was a little bit different. Um, so I don't know. I thought the courses was fine. Wasn't something like that, you know, the, the off camber bill that you did a video about was, was not a factor. Um, the barriers, they got moved. Obviously that was Adri hundred percent doing that for his son. Didn't really matter there. Um, I don't, I don't know. I guess I felt it was fine, but I wasn't blown away. Um, like I said, on the ground, it's a little bit different. So, so what, 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 like what was memorable about the course though? Probably the photos. Like, I think that's like, it was sort of like, it was, it was the way that like Bill showed it and like just that the people that were there, but yeah, Zach, I don't know. I guess what was memorable was the drone shots, right? Like that was really, I keep thinking of those like FPV shots. There's that one like kind of downhill, like tech section with the rut. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Flyovers aren't memorable. Yeah. I'll reverse course on what I, I mean, there was just nothing, there was nothing decisive about it. I mean, there's all this talk about the end, but you know, you saw even like when Vanderpool would hop the barriers and come out of it, it's like, kind of didn't go anywhere I mean, it was really hard to like extend that and create something off of that and i just look at like benidorm and it was like maybe i didn't think as highly of that course as i did but like there were decisive points in it or whatever and this just to me felt very like kind of almost fayetteville-ish like kind of wide flowy absolutely nothing decisive and you know i will say like yeah the men's race was epic but like nothing really epic occurred it was like it was two dudes riding around in a field and going into a sprint kind of like Fayetteville right like the the race between Voss and Brand I wouldn't describe as as epic you know I would look at like Lowenhout this year was epic or whatever um Zolder was epic and Deegan was epic but you know I just it was kind of like very blah very like oh this is the last world cup on the before worlds kind of thing and then you know Michael you make the good point that like anything that was cool and iconic about it like the off camber they're just like took it out like what what like why <laughs> this makes no sense I agree with you on the the off camber definitely was not a factor of how it had been in the past and may, maybe maybe I mean in my head just because I've was there when it was happening you know I, I always go back to Alvarado just losing it on that on that thing and it was such a good kick push you know numorish type off camber and that was just you know it was I think uh um you know we had some analysis on the on the slack channel that it was uh one you know 40 of the of, of the ico banners that it was in the past so you know it was less than half the length than than it had been in the past and it definitely took away a really cool feature but all those other features you talk about michael with that uh u-turn with that big right turn you know the the, the stibar race that was a really muddy race you know, that yeah. was that was a wet, muddy race. You know, you talk, you, they're, they're classic scenes. You know, even the snow races, even the races where they're running and slipping up the up the climb, and you know, you can you can design the course till the cows that are normally in that field come back. <laughs> but you know, you can't you can't you can't make it the the weather be worse. You know, and that that's the thing. And yeah, and and it was a little, you know, it was a little damper on. Saturday and you know it's still you know we still had issues but I think it was more speed issues I think that like we talked about the crash in the junior race that really um uh had unfortunate consequences for uh AJ August and other Americans out there but it was that was that's more than just like 
young dudes who can go really fast going really, really fast. And one person got it wrong, you know, and that just like screwed it up for everyone. But I, I think that's the, that's the thing. I mean, the changes that they made, I don't think killed the course. I think it's just that the, the elements weren't there that, that, have been in the past. I mean, the, the planks in the past were in front of the VIP tent on a where they nor that's like the that's the classic thing. We're building this huge thing. What do we? What can we give them? We'll have them jump over these planks. That's cool to watch for these people while they're sipping, you know, champagne with their chandeliers in this uh, makeshift building. Uh, so they took them away from there. It's perfectly flat area and put them on that hill. You know, you, I, I don't know how much we want to jump around or talk about the men's race, but, but, uh, Vanderpool talked about that. He talked about that as, you know, if it was going to be a factor and how he kind of thought about it, it during, during the race. So could have been more of a factor. It could have been more of a factor in the, in the women's race, but it turned out that, you know, Puck ended up crashing. So it, it, again, it didn't, it didn't matter. It's, it's one of those things that you can't say, it was a non-factor. It was a non-factor in these races. If those planks stay that way every year, maybe in the future they are a factor. I don't know. So that's that's kind of yeah. It's tough to. It's kind of it is what it is. It is it it is Hoger Haida. I think you can sort of play around with the parts, but it's just going to be the the same course always. And if it's dry, it's a freaking fast race, and they were hauling ass on that. And if it's, you know, slimy and wet, it's a it's a slog, and it's a completely different race. Yeah, I mean that's and that's that's a good point. I mean, right? Like ultimately, the most banal course ever can look epic, be epic if there's weather, and if there's not weather, it becomes much more difficult. I guess just for me in my head, just having seen Ben and Dorm two weeks before that race that like they managed to create pinch points and just, you know, kind of like decisive features that created, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, it's like in the, the elite men's race, it was a very exciting, thrilling last lap where corners were battled for. And this one was kind of like, yeah. I mean, I think like halfway through the race, you're just like, yeah, okay. We're going to start thinking about that sprint. And, uh, it just seemed to last forever getting there. <laughs> Yeah, and the funny thing is, if you talk to the riders, I think a lot of them had issue with Benidorm and didn't think it was safe versus this, where I think they thought it was fast and flowed and everything. For so for them, it was kind of like dream course, but that doesn't always translate into the most interesting thing to watch. I, you know, and also the the weather has I think has played a big effect on the the season this year. We see that where the riders who do better at faster courses, drier courses, have come to the front in Vanderpool was not doing so good in this, in the slog and the, in the, the muddy races. And sort of that gave him a little bit of advantage over wow, I think when we get to it. And so then that kind of changes the dynamic of the race, right? Like if it was muddy, maybe it would have been more of a back and forth battle instead of two guys riding around for 10 laps. I mean, they did it. They, they, they got their 22nd gap after lap one and did 10 laps together. Um, but I don't know if we're getting ahead of ourselves with the men. Well, let's just get ahead of ourselves. And let's, um, I, I, I think let's just, let's just talk about this men's race. I mean, that was kind of the, yeah the, the premier race. I mean, all of the, you know, we, we can come back and talk about other races. We had a great race in the women's junior race with the Holmgren twins going one, two for Canada. I mean, that's a, that's a historic day. That's, that's worth talking about. And you know, the, the young guns in the women's race, but look, I it's, it's okay to say that the, the reason people were watching this race was because it was Machu and Wout and, and Damn right. I mean, <laughs> this was this was something special, and it was something that we've been waiting for for how many years? When was the last time? 
Is it uh, Ostenda? Yeah, and Ostenda was a tease. I mean, it felt like maybe we were going to get that until WoW flatted. Um, So yeah, I mean, and we've been waiting for this for a really long time even to have these two battling like this down to the wire, you know, like because typically with both of them healthy. I mean, okay, yeah, the other yeah, part right. too. Yeah. But like this particular thing we had been waiting for forever, you know, because Mechu was either like beating Wout pretty handily or Mechu was just completely choking. And like Wout was, you know, kicking the crap out of him at, at Val- Valkenberg and uh, Bellis. So, yeah, I mean, it was it lived up to the hype. I mean, the crowds were there and everyone was expecting it i mean i guess it's kind of interesting i was just pulling up you know we did a, a bulletin fantasy thing and it was like wow it was still like 46 like i don't have the percent but it was like 46 26 and fa- people picking wow a lot of everyone seemed to be you know picking wow and i guess to me i said in my preview i said after the first one i don't like make a course but you know i think you guys said it that it's becoming this dichotomy it's like Fem vs. Puck and Wout vs. Machu this year was very much weather dependent. It's the new mountain biker course. It's like, can you ride a fast course or are you better in the mud? And it just seemed like a, a, a not decisive course. Like, yeah, I mean, it just seemed like it was going to favor Vanderpool. And I don't know, it just seemed like throughout the race, he seemed in control for the entire time. I, I sort of was thinking about this race a lot this 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 week and excited to to jump on here and talk with you guys and i'm breaking it down to mindset who brought the better mindset to the race race day and i just thought of a couple articles a couple quotes that got pulled and one that was floating around before the race was 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 wout saying that adding a fourth world championship doesn't add much to his palmares and i was like that's okay like, I don't know. I, I, as a fan, I think I want Wout to equal, Van, you know, Vanderpool and the amount of worlds. Like, I, I like that him collecting the titles. It's the, it's the battle back and forth. And Vanderpool was quoted as saying it would be a real shame. Like, my season would not be good if I don't win that world championship. And I think I view that sort of as, as a, how they kind of went into this race. And I think that Vanderpool sort of got fit too. Like, A, I think the weather with the course conditions were perfect for him and what he needed to do. And he he really got in shape. He has he's been training and you know he's had he's sort of coming back through it and just kind of all lined together. And he said after the race that he felt great. Like he was he was in control and you could see, I mean he did the attacks um and Wout could match him. And I, and it was weird because every like you said, Zach, everybody picked Wow in the fantasy in my Twitter poll. Everybody picked Wow. We just like Wow had Matthew's number this year, but then everything changed on World's Day, and like him getting fit, and also I just think coming with like really hungry, wanting to win Worlds in Hogarhide. Yeah, I think that it just seems like something changes at Worlds. You know, we we do the metrics and we talk about the storylines or whatever. Um, but there's riders like the championship brings out the best in some riders and it really kind of shrinks some riders down. And it just seems to happen consistently every year. I mean, I'll give you the example, Lauren Sweck. I think we just have to conclude at this point that Lauren Sweck does not race well at Worlds. He is not up to the challenge, but Lars Vanderhaar really hasn't had a good 2023. And he was on the, you know, he was a stonk. He was stonking, but Lars, you know, every year he's there, you know, I mean, that's just like, he delivers on, 
on that stage. And so, you know, I think Vanderpool is a gamer and, you know, to kind of build off what you were saying, I thought for sure that, wow, you know, after Benadorm, he's like, yeah, I was playing to not lose lead position. And I thought he, I was like, okay, so he'll have more, he'll game planned things out more, you know, he'll be like, all right, I got to think about how I win this race. But like after the race, he was like, yeah, I didn't have a plan B. I was like, did you, did you have a plan A? I, I don't, yeah, you're right. I that you made a great point, Michael. Like Vanderpool came in with a championship winning mindset, and that's what he does. And he controlled that race. And wow, it was just kind of I mean, you can't be on your back foot on a bike, but like he was just kind of I don't know what the bike analogy would be. He was reacting. He was always reacting. But also it, it seems like I mean people I, I agree with that, that he's a that that Vanderpool comes into these big races. It, it just with that mindset of that he's he's going to win. I mean he's he's a he's a confident guy. I mean he's he's got that championship champions mindset for sure. But I also think that I kind of believe Wout saw the writing on the wall, especially with Benidorm, especially with these faster, drier races that weren't a lot of off the bike, weren't a lot of running. He was like, mm, when Vanderpool's on his game, I you know it may the gap may be slimmer than it has been in the past but right. he's still sort of you know if we're just going to go one hot lap he's still got my number and that's I think this was just a lot of hot laps and then I think also Vanderpool played this one out better but even even before we we get to that Zach you're the you're the you're the other sports guy. So, what is it about odd numbers and championships? Because I, I like what like what Michael was saying about like a fourth one doesn't do anything. But but it it is true. Like you win your first one, one that's huge. Three three peat. Five one for the thumb. You know I mean <laughs> seven. Also, you know there, there's winning four, winning six just doesn't have that same same appeal as the as the odd number championship wins. I've never heard of this in my entire life, but this is I'm well, the Bulls bringing it to you now. Three, they right? did, yeah, they did. And the they Bulls three, went they three, did two three peats. So, like. so um, <laughs> that is, I, yeah, it is kind of interesting. I mean, I think we got a little insight into why he didn't race last year at Fayetteville. Is it seems like he doesn't care, but at the same time, still kind of surprised because you know at the beginning of the year he's like literally all I care about is worlds, <laughs> and maybe maybe it threw him off his his game that he was like winning all these races against Michu, uh that that threw him off his game or whatever but yeah I mean you also talked about the getting fit it seems like you know two weeks ago going into Benidorm we're like well you know puck and wow right and like I, going to Spain just did wonders for for Femme and for for Matthew Vanderpool and so they're probably like uh can we do this can we do this World Cup again like <laughs> because they both just like changed their fitness like you know i think like you know vanderpool was doing fine but like femme got her shit rocked at dutch nationals by by puck and then you know she came out just showing the form that she showed at the beginning of the season so it just seemed like some sort of like clarifying retreat type thing occurred by going to the the warmth of of spain maybe maybe that maybe they should you know both well i mean femme's yumbo uh i was saying like like both of them got healthy. You know, that was the thing. Like Matthew talks about how he was in the gym four hours a day, just working on his back. You know, that was, that was like his thing in there. And, and it seems we'll see. I mean, we still have a long road season to go, but it seems like at least for this day is his, uh, 
back stayed stayed intact and was and felt good. You know, yeah, he, he, he was asked about it in the press conference again and again. You, you know, take it for what it's worth with him answering these questions, but he said, yeah, it felt fine. Speaking of the press conference, I just like I got a note, and this is once again it goes back to my the mindset is that he was so elated. Vanderpool was so joyful in his interview and expressive and like not the sort of like cool robot dutch dude who like yeah i win championships like i get paid to win championships he was like happy he was like the this will go down the top three battles of like my career and just like i've never seen him that way and i just i just feel like he was just in such a good space um that was such an indicator of that well he was probably probably bored before i mean this one he had to work for like he earned this you know I'm sure that yeah. there was part of that. I mean, he talked too about how great it was to to have the battle against Wout. And I'm just guessing that knowing that Wout has elevated his game and is a f- more formidable, right? Because like those other ones, I mean, I remember like when he won at Bowensa, it just seemed like relief that he didn't, you know, that he won, that he didn't screw up and make mistakes or whatever. But like this was a legit challenge. And I could see where that would be more memorable for him because like, being challenged as an athlete is what you want. And if it does come easy, it's doesn't maybe might not mean as much. I can tell you, Michael, for the actual press conference, th- all, all three of the podium guys had no interest in being there. It was just <laughs> like, and they were just like so over it when they, you know, they're forced to go in there. All of them just like <sighs> gutting it out and just, you know, trying to answer as quickly as possible. The best part, I will tell you this, this anecdote from the press conference is that, um, I don't want to throw the, this is going to sound, people are going to say, oh, well, they don't, you know, why do you get stuff when people other get stuff? Within the regulations for having a world championship or a world cup, you're supposed to feed the media. It's kind of, at least give them water and some snacks. Nothing. Like, a bottle of water at the beginning of the day and like some some crackers or something and that was it and it was just all gone like it was it was slim pickings in that media room for being there all day long without really a chance to stop for food um but there was a candy sponsor it's kind of like a ooh yeah so not like chocolates or anything almost like um like haribo type type stuff um and just at the end of Sunday, these jars of candy or all day Sunday started showing up on the, on the, on one of the tables in the, in the media room. And, uh, the, when Wout, Machu and Ailey came walking through, of course, Machu was like late and Ailey and Wout are there and they're walking through and Wout's like eyeing the candy before he goes up to the, up to the stage and starts just like picking out some little, I think they're like little, uh, little candy sharks and some other things and starts like picking them out there and Ailey's behind him and uh Wow just sort of points at the candy and Ailey goes yep and he just takes the whole jar and then <laughs> takes it up to the podium with him and it's just like snacking on the kids I, I thought that was a that was the best part of the of the press conference because yeah. Ailey wasn't being asked really they, they got the like the questions to him out of the way first you know a couple questions sort of like thanks for being here type thing and then he was just like eating <laughs> his candy off in the corner for the rest of it sounds about right I mean so I think what people came here for and what are gonna how could Wout have won the sprint 
Yes, let's talk about the sprint. Let's armchair quarterback it. I mean, this is probably what can the people I, want. I'm assuming this is what the people want. People want us to, everyone picked Wout. They want us to solve Wout's problems and tell you exactly how he would have won the sprint. Well, I'll start it out with this, you know, because I was just talking about the press conference. So they they asked Matthew about, you know, what his plan was. And that's where, you know, I, I kind of, I, I think on Instagram, the, the quote I liked from him was like, I didn't really have a plan because every time I have a plan, I don't follow it. So I have a plan. That that was kind of his quote. But what he did say, he did he w- did talk about the planks. So I think he's asked about them, and you know the the new position. And he was like, "Yeah, everybody thought that that would be an advantage for me, and that's where I was going to attack. That's what you know. That was every story was about that I was going to use those to attack. And he said, I could have done that." But it really doesn't get me anything. He's like, by the time I attack there, even if I get five seconds, by the time I'm at the bottom of the stairs, wow, it's already right there again. So it's like almost like burning a match for nothing. Like it comes back together so quick, you know, on the descent and everything else that it really, he didn't think it was an advantage. So his thought instead was just to just to kind of play it steady there and and just bank everything on the sprint. Yeah, I mean banking it on this I, I think I think him banking it on the sprint was was a wise move. I mean I, I'll say that I didn't watch Worlds uh on Sunday live. I actually went and did like I drove two hours, I did a five hour ride, drove home. I didn't get to watch the race until like eight o'clock at night. So I missed all the discussion on the sprint. So I'm coming at it fresh. So of course, I mean the thing that we talked about earlier is that Wow comes and he wanted to be in the front. And when he was, sorry, he wanted to be in the back. And then when he was in the front, he, he didn't have a plan. He didn't have a plan for leading out the sprint. And that's what we we're talking about earlier. Like, what, what, what's he doing? Like, where's his mind at? Um, I mean, I guess you, s- <laughs> what? I can tell you where his mind's at. He told us where his mind was at. It, it, okay. It, it, Great. His, his response in the press conference was, I mean, it was like, it, the, if we're doing this now, if you wanted a let's put Wout into therapy, he kind of did that in the press conference. He said, "Amazing." He said, "I sometimes I feel like I don't I I I have to remind myself that I'm in control of my own sprint. That that I can yeah. actually make the decisions and and decide what I want to do in a sprint instead of just." letting the other person dictate it. And he was like, if I had to do it over again, I'd be leading coming out of that corner. I mean, he, he, he was the first to admit, I played this completely wrong. And I think he was kind of kicking himself for being too passive about it and not making that move and not trying to, to, to get out in front, thinking that he could come around, you know, and, and he was, he, he said, it. you know, it was just this weird thing. He was like, I just need to, you know, remind myself that I, I'm allowed to control my own my own destiny here, and and he right. he feels like he just mm. didn't do that. Well, that's why I guess I was he felt like he was playing to to not lose, you know, slowing up, looking, not taking the initiative and ceding the initiative to a guy with the most explosive first step in modern cyclocross. You know, I mean, I just. Uh, yeah, I just I was surprised after Benidorm that he still kind of did the same thing. He played not to lose. That's very much what that reeked of, of kind of just like looking around, looking around. And then Vanderpool's like, oh, you're going to look around and you think that I'm going to do a thing. I'm just going to go like, you know, Bye-bye. yeah, 
Um, so, so what do you? What? Yeah. Do, but what do you do? I mean, is you it, hit that corner and you go? I mean, like literally, the only thing he could have done. He's in the he's in the front sprint from the front because Vanderbilt has to come around you. At least he has to come around you, and you've got that hot Vanderpool. I mean, you watch the sprint. Vanderpool jumps immediately, gets a gap. Wow, doesn't quite close it. Like he's just immediately, he can't close the gap the entire way until Vanderpool sits up to celebrate, and then he's riding his wheel. So that initial jump was the was the all he needed. And so yeah, you you hit the the pavement and you go control your destiny that's my cat three opinion. i agree just in the sense that it kind of neuters to the extent you can vanderpool's jump right because if you're going if you're already revved up you have the advantage you know he hit he was in he was in front uh you know he, you rev it up and at least you give yourself a fighting chance at neutralizing your opponent's like one decisive move i mean he might still come around you because you're tired or whatever but like you said michael like that's your thing is keeping a high pace for a longer period of time. Vanderpool just goes around you with his quick step. And um, yeah, and he was, especially when you're starting from a standstill thinking that it's going to play out like kind of like a road sprint, you know, where you're going to like gamefully play around, look around, slow up. And Vanderpool's like, yeah, I'm just going to go. Yeah. Cause it's wild. We talk about the sprint before the sprint. There, there is none, right. But before the planks, there is no, if you're just like on the gas trying to drop somebody, it's it's just flat and like you know subtle turns. There's there's nowhere really to 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 make it make a gap on anybody. So it, it does just you're, it does just come down to that the bottom of that um bottom of uh, of the off camber and go. Oh, maybe we solved it. Okay, that was we, <laughs> we solved, solved we the solved, uh, solved the problem. Wout, call us up. I got the tips. I swear, I also saw someone. It, he like he said something about his gears. Well, he was under he, I, he was under geared, but he had a forty eight front was not, ring though. How was he under geared? That's what he said. Well, I mean, I, maybe he wasn't under geared. He said he wished he had a couple more, you know, uh, clicks. Yeah, or he couldn't click down. I don't know. Okay, SRAM, SRAM, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the the other thing that that. Uh, Vanderpool did, and I, I think this made it into some of the coverage, uh, some of the articles. Vanderpool in that news conference did also, you know, talk about battling Wout and how it is special. And like for him, it may not seem like it today, but just that he has, you know, that the whole it takes two to tango thing that they have each other in this is is something special and and right. and it it kind of took a it kind of took a second and then well it was like i agree it still hurts today <laughs> but i agree which, which was cool which was you know just that acknowledgement which i know they've done before but they they kind of have this you know they're they're not best friends but they they're they, not they, puck and fan right but they definitely they're not, they're not they appreciate yeah. that that they have something special with each other so I'm guessing maybe we'll move to the to the battle for third, but there was a story um, in the Dutch press where it was a, it was an opinion piece, and uh, you know it was talking about music. So I, immediately I was like, "This is a Bill question," and they said that Matthew Vanderpool is punk rock. Matthew Vanderpool is Joey Ramone. Bill is Matthew Vanderpool a Ramone brother? Does he want to be sedated? 
I it was I don't get I don't I I saw you post that and I didn't translate it. I don't understand. Why is he punk rock? I think it was the sense he does it his own way. He does it his own way. It was but it, like they didn't do a very good job actually of carrying the theme through to the end. Like it it, it no, started it strong. Good. It was one of those with a with a thesis but like no supporting evidence for it. It just talked about the race and so I was like, "Eh, if I was got a thesis like this, I would have done a little bit better." But I think it was the sense that like he doesn't follow the rules. He does what he wants. He does Amstel Gold. He sprints when he wants. He doesn't follow the rules. Starts a sprint or whatever. He attacks where you don't think he's going to attack. I don't know. It's just it's hard for as an American to have someone compare Dutch uh, Matthew Vanderpool to Joey Ramone. There's like nothing punk. I'm sorry. There's nothing punk about European bike racers to me. Um, like unorthodox, maybe. In his way, he he races with his heart and less his mind, but it it's not punk rock. I'm sorry. I, I mean, it's just like uh, you know, that used to be the, th- the the thing with with cyclocross. Cyclocross is punk rock, you know, which I always thought was hilarious uh, because it's not. It's just bike racing. It's like compared to what you know. It's is I, I I was like if 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 it's if it's punk rock, it's like Green Day. You know that was like, it was like late late age Green Day. That's uh <laughs> late age Green Day. Wow. Oh man. <laughs> Rough on cyclocross there. So what I would say my whole my whole take on Matthew Vanderpool, I always compared to him. I I went the literary way. I always I always went Herman Melville with uh with him that he's Bartleby the Scrivener, who's if you've read the short story by Melville, his his quote in there uh when anybody asks him to do something is always I prefer not to. <laughs> My, uh, my, Matthew, you, you can win the mountain bike world cup. All you have to do is go race this one more race. I prefer not to. Yeah. It was just like, he just doesn't care. He's just going to do what he wants to do. So that's, that's, I, I always, I always considered him more of a Bartleby, the Scrivener type character, just going to do what he wants yeah. to do. I like that. I like that better. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for tying that up for us. I have, oh, before we get, I know we want to talk about a little more of the rest of the rest of the race, but I have a trivia question. So I'm going to bring out a trivia. Um, Matthew Vanderpool wins five worlds, he five world championships. He's actually not the leader um, in the amount, but I thought I started thinking about, wow. So Wout's finished, you know, second to him four times now. Um, who has the most seconds at CX worlds? Did, I did a story on this for the bulletin. Is it Adrian Vanderpool? It is, yeah. He finished second yeah. like seven times. Matthew, Matthew's family is known for finishing second. That That's exactly what I was thinking of is that the Pulidor, the, the eternal second. Vanderpool is the one who has turned it around <laughs> yes, for that he has, he has yeah. broken the curse of the second place for the, for the Vanderpool legacy. Yeah, Adri has five, Wout has four, Erwin Verbecken three, De Klerk three. So I'd sorry, Zach, if I didn't realize maybe I've read that. I've forgotten it already. Well, no, I was more for me. But, it was me. Am I gonna get this right? Like I was just concerned. Like this I was like, if I didn't get this right, as someone who's looked into this, it would be embarrassing. So I'm glad that like everything aligned. That wasn't a that wasn't a subtweet of you at all. Okay. Like, not at all. All right, uh, I I know we we're not we're not going to do justice to these these other races, but 
anything anything of note i mean feminine apple makes makes the decision to to go oh here's a question for you to to race the women's elite did puck make the right decision yes i think so yeah i mean yeah 100 percent. she got second she was the the best of the rest she had a bad crash but i think that's where she needed to be and in Fayetteville, she won junior, right? U23. U- so she did win U23. Okay, so she already has a U23 world championship. Yeah, she, has, she doesn't need that consolation prize. No need to, right. to grab that one. So, yeah, I think she made the right decision. I mean, I think people were just kind of, it seemed like the reaction to Shireen winning was kind of shruggy. It was like, yeah, well, this is what we expected. You got it or whatever. But, um, yeah, what, what would Puck have to gain there and... I mean, frankly, she was racing really well. Like, she was beating Femme Van Eppel. She won three of the last four head-to-head matchups. She would have been crazy to not do it. Um, but, you know, again, like, it just seemed like Femme came into the the race with just a winner's mindset. And it just seemed like, and I don't know, it just seemed like Puck was, even before she crashed, she was kind of, like, on the back foot or whatever. But Femme was just in control of the race from from the beginning. Another, another, the... uh women's the the kind of energy in the women's press conference was similar similar to the men's and i I just poor lucinda brand uh some you know dutch journalists not scared to just you know ask it how it is basically saying you're old lucinda what's it like racing against these kids type you know i'm paraphrasing but that was basically the question and lucinda who's usually the most diplomatic person in the world was just kind of like eye rolling and was like i don't know we're all racing our bikes and trying to win here and they're they're really good and they're it's nice to see this generation but it was just i, I was just like oh boy what a shit question to ask rough stuff Persico, Persico, fourth, you know, third last year at Fayetteville, just, you know, had some good results in a row. Just, I don't know, not, not quite the bike handler and, uh, not quite the power to match those two. I mean, maybe the bike handling, you know, if, if it was better, it would, the power would be okay. But just, just like a wild card kind of like has you no, know, not did the whole season, but comes in and he checks it, Bill. I mean, she, she's, she's your ultimate heat check right there. Sort of the also the only non-Dutch in the top eight, um, mixing it up. So, sorry, I was looking up something to make sure that I wasn't like going to be off here. I want to talk about Lucinda Brand for a second. I think that you know this race and this season for her, this was her sixth world's podium. You know, she's won worlds once. I hope that folks just appreciate that we're seeing one of the greatest women cyclocross racers of all time. And we've got to see her for the last couple of years, kind of like at the peak of her game. You know, she came in, you know, Bones was the one everyone remembers with the the thing in the pit when she was, you know, kind of on the the ascendancy, um, you know, Dubendorf, she just missed out or whatever. And then, you know, she won at Ostenda, but like, you know, you look at just her results, and I think it's uh, our friend Jan does the the F one awards. He does points awards, and so she is currently uh, she's moving up. Um, what is she? One, two, three, four, five, sixth right now. So I mean, ahead of her, you have Voss, Kupernagel, Kant, Daphne Vanderbrand, and Lawrence Labouchier. You know, they're talking about Lucinda Brand, and so like 
I just, I guess this is just a Lucinda Brand appreciation tweet, you know, that she's just been so good. And, you know, even against these, um, you know, the younger women, I thought she put up a great fight. And yeah, the next couple of years, you know, hopefully we'll get to see her race worlds a few more times. But you're looking at potentially seven worlds podiums, eight world podiums. Really, you know, started late. She's not going to win the titles that Sana Kant did or whatever. But like, she's, she's an all time great. That's, that's, that's it. That's the tweet. Like we're seeing one of the greatest cyclocross racers of all time in real time. And I, it's been a pleasure to watch her race her bike. Yeah, Zach. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up. I'm just looking at it. It's 85% uh, OPP at worlds. Like that's, I mean, she missed one podium out of of those and uh, first vote hall of fame. Was that in 2017? She finished fourth. Yeah. Beals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The race, uh, race of the day in the top 10 also have to shout out Magli Rochette. Is she, uh, definitely, you know, lined up behind Femme at the start? Thought that was a really good place to be. Was it Femme or Puck? Puck. Who? Puck. Lined up behind Puck. Puck ended up missing her pedal, ending up on her top tube there in the beginning. Rochette ran right into the back of her. And I think out of the, 28 people uh in that field around the first lap she was 24th or 25th and just worked her way through that field finishing finishing ninth i know not the result ultimately she was looking for but for the for that start and you know basically at the back of the race to, to finish ninth is pretty great yeah, and especially with her season um, that she had, I know it was still up in the air as to whether or not she was going to do the Europe campaign. It's awesome uh, that she did. You know, we saw the struggles that she had, and she was able to reset and do it. It just sounds like too that I, it just sounded like she was kind of in a dark place with regards to cyclocross, and that you know, in the last few weeks or whatever, it's like kind of rekindled that love. And you know, I mean, we just she's such an important part of our domestic scene and the excitement that she brings and the opportunities she creates for other people and stuff like that. So it's just, it's exciting to see. And it's, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's cool. It was cool to see her, you know, despite that sometimes it's with adversity. It's not like those top rides that, you know, you're really happy. It might not be the top result, but like the way the race goes, like you can take a lot out of it and be really happy with it. So it's really cool um, that she was, she was able to do that. Yeah. Anything else from the women's race? I think other other notable races U twenty three men T Boness uh, I think that was the other really big result as far as just the fans and being on the on the ground there and just a a moment with Sven and Tebow at the end I think real a proud proud Papa moment for uh, Tebow winning another another world championship and I think it's also it's going to be really interesting to see how much more we see of him in cyclocross I think it's really going he seems to be focused on the road and i think the uh trek segafredo folks have him you know pegged as as a road racer so it's just going to be interesting to see if he if he is successful at that level of how much we do see him back in cyclocross in the future yeah 100 percent, bill i I put a a twitter twitter poll out like what was the best storyline on day two saturday and it was overwhelming favorite the canadians um the holmgrams but i i sort of was curious like how much people would you know get credence to tebow's win because yeah like his his he had a following some pretty large uh footsteps large shadow his father and it's 
he's probably not going to be the cross racer he was, but he's won junior and U23 worlds. And, and those are some amazing accomplishments. And just to, you know, to see the emotion he felt, I think he understood that too. And so that's like kind of a, I don't know. I thought that was sort of a underappreciated storyline. And, you know, like you said, how much we'll see him racing the uh, across in the future. But yeah, I, I, I was, I was happy to see him and he, he kind of took it from the beginning and, and, and really ran away with it. Men's junior race, Leo Bisso, who's a guy that uh, has been winning races. You know, the the World Cups I saw, he was he was winning those pretty handily. It's a name. The, the men's juniors kind of get lost in the mix a lot, a lot of the times, but it's going to be really interesting. This is a French rider who seems to be at the top of the field in the men's junior right now it'll be interesting to see if he's able to keep that success going forward as he ages up into cyclocross we we got to talk about aj august (laughs) i mean just really the story of the day in that men's junior field going down in the i think it's the there was the turn right after the it's that 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 place where where there was no safety zone that I was talking about after the flyover in pit one, big crash in his race. Uh, I I'm sure you've seen the the pictures of his torn uh, skin suit really just being held on by a thread, uh, and he dead last in the first lap and then I didn't double check this but from what I was told he had the fastest lap times for every lap after lap 1 which is amazing and also just a what could have been cuz you know we already saw from Copenberg cross we already saw from his uh high finishes in other world cups that he definitely was a medal contender if not a uh, a, a favorite for for the win in this race. So disappointing, but what I think I loved seeing and what a lot of uh, the people I was with and talking to as well is that he he didn't quit on this race, you know. And I and I think a lot of the other Americans, Dan English and David Thompson and Miles Mattern, also caught up in that crash. Same thing. They didn't they didn't give up on that, and then they they actually ended up having really strong races for that American squad. Yeah, and it sounds like he's getting some some talk of uh, Ineos is taking a look at him, which would just be super interesting to have both him and Magnus Sheffield on that team because they both kind of, I think they grew up in the same city. They're from like the same city in upstate New York, um, raced for Park Avenue oh, bikes. And okay. so it would just be a very interesting, uh, you know, upstate New York to one of the biggest teams on the world tour connection. And yeah, I mean, I, he's a, he's a guy that's been on my radar since uh, actually a, uh, I think it was a Crodio episode where uh, Kevin Bouchard Hall got smoked by him, and he was like, "Who is this kid?" And then after, like immediately <laughs> after that, I think that was before last cyclocross season, he just started crushing everything for the last two years. So, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's it's a bummer. It's a second year as a as a junior, but hopefully it's not the last time that we'll we'll be hearing from him and that he'll be able to carry that into the the U twenty threes. Yeah, quick glance at the lap times. Yeah, he's doing low sevens, which are just the same or faster than than Leo's uh, lap time. So yeah, that's and also I mean huge field, right? Because the you know the women's elite was like twenty eight. 
He he got twenty second out of seventy one. Seventy, yeah. So he made quite a move. Michael, were you the one who was suggesting that. he should have done a skin suit uh, swap or like had a had a jersey to throw on? I mean, like he was missing also like forty percent of his jersey. Right. Like a little like literal thread hanging on. Yeah, I mean, like it would have been indecent. Um, I don't know in Florida or something. Like it's just like. Yeah, it's insane um, that he had to race like that. Yeah, what do you do? I mean, you can't stop and take off his skin. You just nothing you can do. He, he did what he could do, and he he did yeah. the, he made the best out of the circumstances. Finally, last but not least, let's uh, talk a little bit about history being made in that junior women's race. Uh, you had. And I, I think the Holmgrens went in there as favorites in this race for sure. They were up there the whole year but Lauren Mollengraf also the big favorite had a had a crash in there and she just couldn't recover from it uh, you know she wasn't able to 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 come back and make make up time and it's cyclocross and the Holmgrens both took advantage of that and took off and it really was uh Bella who was able to take the most advantage of that get a gap uh her sister was able to come up behind her and and hold off the rest of the field and 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 they were they were clear of everyone clear of uh the uh Italian in third place by by 20 seconds weren't able to enjoy that win and come across the line and it was just uh yeah just a great a, a great moment great great to see both of those sisters finish finish on the podium together take the win great to see uh the emotion from Isabella great to see just the love from her sister and just so stoked for her sister winning it you know even coming across the line um just really 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 cool to to be able to witness that one yeah i mean i i watched didn't watch it live and then when i watched the repair it later that night i mean i just i was tearing up on my couch just because like it was just so cool to see like you said build that emotion and just like yeah how how stoked ava was and like isabel just like couldn't believe what had happened and, and ava had to be like yo like you did it you know and then and then the, like their interview was great and you know that's that's when you sort of like that's right north america stand up <laughs> and, and and then being there working for a Team Canada, you know, pressure on me too that I had to make sure yeah. I uh, didn't blow that one at the end. So. That was actually my first thought in the morning when I saw the results. I was like, heck yeah, Bill, you got a world champ. <laughs> yeah, no, super cool. That whole that whole Canadian squad's a lot of fun. It was good to good to be able to work for them uh over over that weekend. So anything else about these races about the racing at the world championships. I do have, I, I, I was, when I was there and, and just because how it played out, you know, we, we started this episode talking about the venue and talking about the crowd some, and Sunday was insane. Sunday was, you know, the, I think they said it was 40,000 plus. I, I, I would not be surprised if it was over 50,000 that, that squeezed into the venue. It was a full house, I would say, on Saturday, but markedly less people than Sunday. Markedly less. I mean, it was, you could get around, I mean, just 
from my perspective, I could get around, I could go where I needed to go and cover that race. And I didn't have to do what I was on doing on Sunday where it was like, okay, 30 minutes before the race, I need to be at my first spot. And then I may not be able to cover this race for a lap or even two to get to another spot, you know? And then I was, uh, uh, Ethan and I were, uh, working, you know, tandem on some stuff and it was basically two laps to go. We were at the stairs and he was like, I'm going to the finish line, two laps. It's not, he just had to walk up the finishing straight, but he had to do it through the crowd. And it took him that long to make sure that he was there in in time for the finish. You know, that's a 15, 15 minutes (laughs) to get to the finish, just through that fight through that crowd. Uh, it was, it was insane to try to try to move around. I mean, that's the, I just shot from behind on the last one. Cause I was like, I'm not even going to try to go to the finish. So that, that, that got me thinking about the scheduling of the world championships, how we have it set out. Now we have, you know, this is, we're, we're finally at a point where we have equity, you know, for a long time. We didn't have women's junior races, so we'd have like five races. Now we have six races. So the way they did it, they split it up three races on Saturday and three races on Sunday. My my proposal to make it even better would be to move the women's elite also to Sunday and make Sunday just the premier day. And I think that in the past, when this has been proposed, we just get in this mindset of, well, we have three on one day and three on the other day. So then what are you going to put with the elite men and the elite women? What's that third race going to be? What's it going to be fair, you know, to put there? And my solution for that is don't put anything there. Just have two races. It's like old school. We used to just have four races <laughs> and that was it go back to that so just have women's elite men's elite on sunday and have the other four races on saturday we can we can fit four races into a day and then you so you sort of had that undercard maybe there'll be less people there on saturday there are less people there on saturday anyway but then sunday you just guarantee that your elite men and your elite women have the benefit of the biggest crowd possible. So that would be, that would be my suggestion for the UCI. I like this. I think this is a good, pro- my, my question though is on timing. So like typically it's two hours between it's two hours every race, but I remember back when they still had the five, it was the U 23 women's race and the elite men, but the U 23 women were at like 11 AM and the men weren't three. Would we put these adjacent two hour slots? Cause it was, it was like this huge gap. It was like there would be the one race and then nothing on Sunday, I believe mid Sunday morning. So would you do them back to back at least? I think there's like 45 minutes now there was between races this time, 45 minutes to an hour. Right. So it's every two hours they start, but it was four right. hours, so, but it was four yeah. hours before maybe it was the 23 men were on. I don't remember. I remember that. Cause I, I remember watching, I think it was U23 men and going back to sleep. I did that in 2017. I remember that. I woke up, went back to bed, and then woke up again. But like, so we'd put them together though. Because it was like three hours. Yeah. Um, I would put a 90 minute to two hour gap from the end of the race to the start of the next one. 
maybe even two hours. Because that way, what you could do is that you can have your finish, you can have your podium, you can have your press conference, you can actually, if you're media, go and actually send out a few photos without worrying about missing the next race and then get back on there. So not that three hour gap, but I think having a longer gap than we have now between those three races would actually be beneficial. And I, I, I don't think that anybody would be too upset. Yeah. They would just that. go to the party. And, 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 and I mean, I, there's like tents and stuff. Right. They would just go to the disco right. and go to DJ, whatever the guy but I, is. But like, I, time to get a beer bathroom get back to your spot. Yeah, and I, I think that would actually benefit the coverage. I mean, I think that would, because it would be able to give whichever race is first, it would be able to give the benefit of that. I, I, I think, and this is going to be a controversial statement, uh, I still think that the European-Belgian mindset is going to be that most of the people there, I, this isn't me, I don't agree with this, but I think with most of the people there, they are there to see the men's race. So if you put... The men's race second, you are going to have many people who care about the women's race, but who it, it may not be the priority for them will be there to watch that race as opposed to having the women's race second where I think you will have a lot of people leaving. Is that fair? Is that right? Is the racing potentially better on the women's side? Absolutely. But just seeing what we saw this weekend – that's not the reality yet. Send your letters to feedback at cxairs.com. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. I mean, I think for like a fan standpoint too, it just like one mega day of world's racing. I mean, it would just be like, I mean, you still get two days of stoke, but like, yeah, it'd be pretty exciting. Yeah, and, and the thing is also, they're like, well, it, it's cool that the, the younger people get to see these big crowds too. I was like, yeah, it's cool that they have something to look forward to, to be able to make it to that Sunday and be an elite and then race in front of those bigger crowds instead of just jumping into it as a junior. I mean, the U23 women had a bigger, that was what I was thinking about it. You know, the, 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 the sort of the crux of this is that the U23 women had a much bigger crowd than the elite women did. Maybe Puck made the wrong choice. Yeah, I mean, if she wanted more, <laughs> wanted more eyeballs on her. I mean, Shireen got you know a lot more people out there seeing her. She got the elite eyeballs on the U twenty three race. Yeah, yeah, but good weekend. I mean, it was it was cool. It was good to see. It was uh, a nice cap on the the season. Now we get the now we now we get a little, what is this season like part three? What what is that's Lauren Sweck season? What is it's Lauren Sweck season. It's Sweck season. It's the Sweck time. It's the weekend. And it's. It's this weekend of the season. Also, little little news alert: Fem's gonna race the rest of the X two O. Called series. it. You called it. <laughs> I mean, she's gonna have the jersey like you got. You want to wear it? They got money. I mean, like yeah. So we. So it won't be like you know. We'll have some of the hit. The hitters will still be there. Um. So these are kind of the fun. I feel like these are the release. The pressure is a little bit less. But we will still have some good racing, a um, couple series to tie up, and I'm um, looking. Bill, I know to you it. were touting the Yumbo uh, PR squad. Like excellent work by them. You know, she's she wants to show off the jersey. Wink, wink. Which probably would have been a little bit more crass to just put dollar signs or euro signs, you know, raining down on the <laughs> image. So you know, kudos to them. Uh, but I think everyone knows, you know, why she's doing it. Yeah, I mean, she got those series, but also, uh, I, I mean. 
there, there's still a start money out there, right? And you get right. you get those stripes on your jersey, you get you get more start money. Everybody wants the world champ. So sweet. All right, what do we have coming up? Uh, Lilla. We had we had a race today, but no one watched it. Yeah, I know. We had controversy too. I mean, we can't even get into it. But uh, the 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 Ezerbeet Sweck uh, uh, beef continues, evidently. So you know, little yeah, he's just making the rounds with the sauces squad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what I what I read, it was it was a cyclocross move. Maybe pulled a bit of a blocker, blocked uh, Ellie, but Ellie <laughs> Sweek seemed to not think much of it. So. All right. Well, we'll talk about more cyclocross next week, and uh, we'll talk to you all then. Folks, back before we started talking about privateers and lifetime adventures and aero bars, swift racing was there as the meme discipline we all love to mock. And while the meme machine has moved on to gravel racing, swift racing is still here. Nowhere fast is the virtual racing podcast you didn't know you needed. It's a real podcast about real racing on fake bikes. Join host Kevin Bouchard-Hall, Mike Swart, and me, Zach Schuster, for interviews, takes from inside the Zeloton, virtual racing coverage, and of course, cheating. Download Nowhere Fast at the Wide Angle Podium website, or listen on your preferred podcast app. You can come for the KBH stories, and stay for the semi-serious discussion of real fake racing. And like, ride on, or whatever.